Next week we also will be having the graduation or the promotion of our children. Can't believe that they're going to the next level. And so during the service we're going to have a time of recognizing those promoting. Also, they're going to have a little fellowship afterwards and there's going to be cupcakes and they've uh, made those available to anyone that would like to celebrate with them. Well, it's uh, uh, over the next last couple of days, very difficult days. Uh, for our country and so just be in prayer for those communities that have experienced such difficulty that pray that God would uh, do what he can only do is turn what some have used for evil and turn to that which uh, would turn to good and so uh, that is our prayer today that God would turn and minister and help and uh, pray for these communities that experience such a painful uh, day and night. Dentro chronology is one of those things that um, just fascinates me. Uh, it's every time when they uh, take a tree down here and you look at the foundation and you see those little circles, it's a reminder of the years and the growth. Now, uh, those circles can't tell the story, but one of the things that we do learn is during difficult times when we are surprised, sometimes they produce the greatest growth and sometimes when it seems to be so uh, what we would say such a, a, a wonderful season the growth is less and it seems to be the same thing about our growing in our faith and sometimes we can't explain why we're going through some difficult times and what God is doing yet in Hebrews we're reminded that uh, while Jesus was in the flesh the Bible says he learned obedience through the things he suffered and so I know there's purpose, and yet sometimes we don't understand why. Well, in the book of Mark, we're in, encountering Jesus crossing over in the 8th chapter that he uh, goes to the other side, and almost immediately he's encountered with people. But this time it's those who desire to bring him down. It's the Pharisees. And so this morning, as we talk about this matter of growing, we can see that there is God's working even in the situations that uh, sometimes surprises us of God's work. And so if you have your Bible in the Mark chapter 8 and verse 11, and if you're able to, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand and we honor the reading of God's Word as He speaks to our heart this morning. In Mark chapter 8 verse 11, the Bible says, And the Pharisees came out and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him signs from heaven to test Him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he says, Why does this generation seek for signs? Truly I say unto you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Leaving them, he began to embark and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in, in, in the boat with them. Some of the uh, Sinaitic translation says not even a, a loaf, but it was marginal for the 13 of them to eat. Verse 15, And when he uh, was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you see? Having ears, do you, not, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets, small 
containers were left over of broken pieces you picked up, and they said to him, Twelve. And when he had broken the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets or hampers full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? They came to Bethesda, and uh, Bethsaida, excuse me, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes, laying his hands upon him, he asked them, Do you see anything? And he looked and he said, I see men, for I am seeing them like trees walking about. Then again he said, he laid his hands upon them, and he looked intently and was restored and began seeing everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace and your help to help us as believers to grow and build our life upon the promises and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the work that he's done for us, and the availability of forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. But Father, without resting upon him completely and totally, we realize, Father, there are great dangers Father, to allow our life to be swayed or taken or built upon other things. And so we pray, Father, that you this morning would just remind us how important it is for us not to, uh, Father, be taken away from the substance of that which we need to rest our life upon. And, Father, uh, not to build our life on things that we have no uh, power whatsoever, uh, Father, to, uh, to be assured that it has of any value uh, for eternity. So, Father, again, we pray that you would just break the word of life to us, the word from uh, the promises you give to us, and feed us from heaven. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As your Bible is open, and as you look at this past, uh, uh, passage, I literally uh, uh, made the, the comment about the substance of what we're seeing, and, and it's describing the uh, genuine faith, faith that's real, and so he's taking the time to reject the people who are building their life upon other things. He's helping them to uh, not build their life upon that which is uh, um, uh, superficial or pretense or preoccupation upon things that drag us away from truth in order that we can rest completely in the work of Christ. Now the first thing as we look at this passage, I simply titled it the, uh, the leaven of pretense because the Bible describes that the Bible says the Pharisees came out and the Bible says and began to argue. The infinitive to argue was the purpose. Their purpose of what they intended to do was simply to try to argue with Jesus. Uh, it goes on putting the infinitive, I mean the imperfect with it, which means Jesus was in discussion with them. But the Bible says uh, what they were seeking from him, and he gives two participles. One was that they might see a sign from heaven, and second of all, the purpose behind it was to test the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, we see they're approaching Jesus but their position hasn't changed from the third chapter when their account of what Jesus was doing was earthly things under the disguise of the work of Beelzebub or the work of the demonic powers. And Jesus warned them it was a great danger for them to somehow to attribute to what God alone can do and the Spirit of God was doing to the work of the devil. And so there was a grave warning. But as they come again, their purpose behind that was to, uh, to argue with 
with him. And so the Bible tells us when they uh, began to arrive, they debated with him, outwardly criticizing, and their goal was uh, somehow to tempt him. So the purpose behind that, of course, was to bring him down. That's what the Bible says, that he has conspired with the Herodians some way that they might destroy him. And so this debate, the criticism, everything they're doing has one particular purpose. It is not to discover who he is, but to somehow to bring him down. And so pharisaical uh, behavior we can identify very quickly. Uh, one thing of pharisaical, uh, and when I use the word pharisaical, I'm using what the Bible describes as the picture of the life that they live in, and we're going to be talking about the warning. And, of course, the warning, as he warns them of the danger of pretensions, is basically what he says in verse 15. He says, beware. In fact, he's literally using the word to watch out and guard carefully against the leaven of these who live this pretentious life. Well, what exactly does that mean? What is this leaven? Of course, most of us know leaven is the word for yeast. And what does it have to do with the Pharisees? Well, if you have your Bible, uh, hold your place here and go to the 12th chapter of the book of Luke because he begins to describe some of the characteristics of uh, that which he uh, labels as uh, uh, this manner of uh, the Pharisaical behavior. Look, for instance, in verse 1. And under these circumstances, after many uh, thousands of, of the multitudes had gathered together, they were uh, stepping on one another. They began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, the word hypocrisy is a word that in the, uh, if you ever go to theatrical places, sometimes they'll have these masks, one of a smiling face, one of a, a frowning face. And in those days of theatrical, instead of uh, having the elaborate works that we have through the, uh, the community, the artistic community, they simply just change masks. They put on a mask. And so it's the idea of people that put on masks and pretend though they're something that they really are not. And so he describes hypocrisy and the leaven as pretending to be something that they really aren't. In fact, he goes on, describes that it's a, it's a kind of darkness. He says, for there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Now, this is what he's saying. You can play games with everybody here. Everybody here doesn't know what's going on in your life. What happens in the quiet place by yourself, no one knows. But he says, let me tell you something, one day it'll be known. And so he warns us not to be something different in the stillness or while we're by ourselves and to be something different when we're here at church. It's, it's sometimes, um, well, it's hard to do sometimes. You know, uh, uh, I drive sometimes and I, I get a little careless, I get a little heavy but the moment I see a car sitting on the side with these little bubbles on it, man, you've never seen a guy that drives better than me. I mean, I, I just begin to drive like, oh, this is me. I'm, I always drive within the speed limit. You know, I, I'm not conscious, but all of a sudden I'm pretending that I'm something that I'm not. And Jesus says, you be weary of the people that are playing games with God. There used to be a song when we were growing up singing, uh, uh, singing, they uh, singing glory, hallelujah, while they sock it to you in the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. People know when you're genuine. 
And your genuineness doesn't need to be just here, but it needs to be everywhere you go. And Jesus says, beware, because the Pharisees try to do things in darkness. He said, but let me tell you, it'll be made known. Second of all, he said, according to whatever is said in darkness shall be heard in the light. Whatever you whisper uh, in the inner room will be proclaimed from the housetop. There's not a thing that you've ever said that's not going to become known and who you said it about. It's going to be public. They're going to know. One day, people are going to know exactly what's been said and what you said to them or behind their back or whatever. They're going to know. The Bible says that's going to be known. But the Pharisees like to talk behind people's back because they don't think they're going to be held accountable for it. But the Bible says, not so. And it says uh, uh, in verse 4, and, you may, uh, and, and, and I say to you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but be more afraid of those or what they can do. But I warned you of whom to fear. The one who after uh, kills has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see what happens with apostasy. The reason they play the games is because they're trying to impress other people. They're trying to be liked by other people. They're trying to somehow get the approval of people. He says, no, you need to make sure that where you're getting the approval from is from God alone. Hypocrisy is trying to get the world's applause instead of the applause from heaven. And so he warns them about this kind of behavior. And then he goes on to say, and uh, verse 6, are, you not, uh, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet one of them is, uh, uh, is not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, every hair on your head is all, are all numbered. Do not fear. Uh, you are more valuable than the sparrows. One of the reasons sometimes we think that God doesn't really care and he says you need to understand how much he cares and he'll demonstrate that through the son as he gives his best. And then he goes on, he says in verse 8, And I say to everyone who confesses me before men, I shall confess for the angels of God. And whoever denies me before men, I'll deny for the angels of God. And everyone who speaks against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And... Um, and then when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious of how you should speak or your defense or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you that uh, in that very hour what you should say. And so as we look at these things, he talked about this pretentiousness. It's the area of, of living with misguided fears, living in darkness, not understanding God's compassion and care for us, desiring the approval of others, doing things without acknowledging the lordship of Christ or the spirit of God who is guiding us to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, be careful. And so therefore in verse 15 he says, and when he gave this order, watch out, be aware, always be on guard about this behavior of the Pharisees and also of the um, the Herodians. And so when he talks about this kinds of danger, he warns them that this is the thing that can infiltrate your life and it'll affect everything about your life. Eleven is just, in fact, today you get those little packages of yeast and you have maybe six uh, uh, what is scoops or 12 scoops of flour. You put this little package in a little water and then after you mix it a little bit, you put that in there and the next thing you do, you leave it for a little bit and it, it just swells. It touches everything about your life. Hypocrisy, he was saying, is so dangerous because it affects everything about your life. And therefore, the Bible says that he says, be on guard. In fact, if you have your Bible again, I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter, um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And you remember this was an occasion where 
the church was struggling with some sin that wasn't being dealt with. And so Paul addresses that in the fifth chapter and he speaks about their behavior where sin was having a part in the church. The church was overlooking bad behavior or bad examples or immorality in this particular case. And their response was that they thought themselves to be something good. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven uh, leavens the whole uh, lump of dough? You know, we've learned this an example in the book of uh, Joshua when they went to the city of Ai. There was one man, Achan, who decided just to pocket a little of the resources. Or in the New Testament, when we uh, read a couple in, in chapter 5 that did the same thing, sold some property and decided to keep some, it affected the whole community. And that's why when we talk about responsibility as believers, my life, to live a pure life, has an effect upon you and your life, how you live, has an effect upon me and all of us. And so the Bible says that, that it has an effect on the whole body. He says, so clean out the old leaven that you may have a new lump, which is in fact the unleavened for Christ is our Passover who has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast not with the old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness. Now, that's an interesting thing because it's the idea, he says, of, of living a life that is uh, uh, claiming the reality of uh, God's grace, but yet living in the behavior or uh, the unforgiveness of that which is not past. And so he's dealing with uh, a life that is being influenced by something great or small that happened to you. Maybe somebody said something when you were in third grade that, uh, that offended you or maybe somebody didn't like something. Maybe just somebody huffed and puffed and, and that made you mad. Let me tell you something. If you live out of that kind of behavior, our children used to do that. They, didn't, they knew better to speak back to dad and mom, at least not in my reach they didn't, okay? But sometimes they would go, huh. I, I could nearly have strangled those kids for that, that little huff because I, I could read Rebellion City, but they didn't say anything. They knew sometimes they could get away with it. Well, he says, you know, that's the kind of life of malice. You are being destroyed because you can't get over what someone... Uh, man came into the, uh, to the uh, office to talk to the pastor and he said, he said, oh, my wife, when she gets mad, she gets so historical. And he said, you mean hysterical? And he said, no, she's historical. She brings up everything I ever have done. Now, let me tell you something. Men and women are different. You know, men used to just go outside and hit each other and, you know, come back in, you know, with their arms around them saying, hey, buddy, let's go back in the house. But, you know, ladies sometimes don't do that. And so it's the area of hanging on to something. Listen, it's not so much as what's hanging on to you, but what's you have begun to be shaped by that. As someone said, it's not what you eat, but what's eating you that is changing your personality. Your family can see it. Your children can see it. Your community, you may be hiding it here, but they know what's real and what's not real. And so therefore, it's that picture that he says to be very careful about that behavior, their claims uh, of reality, which was corruption, and the area of malice and wickedness, a word that describes every kind of behavior. You see, when you, when you don't deal with reality of your own behavior and actions, then you'll begin to excuse more and more and more behavior. Churches do that. 
Sometimes they will overlook what's wrong and therefore it becomes a pattern of overlooking. He says, be very careful because it not only has effect upon you, it has effect upon the whole life. Now, three things about this and I'll change. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the next point. But the first thing he does is he warns them of the danger. He literally tells them they're in grave danger. In fact, uh, the word that he warns them, he says in verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit, he says... Uh, why does this generation seek this sign? Now, you may not know exactly what that phrase means, but when he uses the word this generation is a word that is pulled from the Old Testament from the days of Moses. It's quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 about the group of people that constantly, constantly lived for the moment and didn't live for eternity and they begin to complain and the Lord says, I tell you what, they will never enter my kingdom. When he uses this phrase, in fact, he goes even a little stronger than that. He says, truly, the word amen in verse 12, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. A rebellious heart that doesn't deal honestly with their own sins will never deal honestly with God. And so he said, therefore, he warns them. As I mentioned in verse 12, he begins with this deep sign. This is a, a compound word. Sign is used throughout the scripture, but this is the only time it's used here. He looks at those that are rejecting his person, seeking a sign from heaven. They want to see bread fall from the heaven. They want to see the, the sun stand still. And he says, listen, that will never change your heart. It's trusting the promises. Generations by generations have practiced that if, if we could just have this, our life would be changed. Jesus, as he described a man who was in hell, asked that somehow that Abraham would send to, uh, to his brothers that they wouldn't have to come to a place like this of torment. And Jesus said, listen, if, even if someone came back from the dead... Because they have Moses and the law, let them listen to them. You see, signs are a difficulty. Signs are for a purpose to guide to truth so you'll build your life upon the substance and not simply on a sign. And so it was important. So Jesus basically, he warns them and then he grieves for his enemy. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you grieved for someone who wronged you? I know you grieve because you were wrong, but... How many times have you grieved? The Lord was grieving for those who had grieved him. And then the Bible says the last picture that we see is he gets into the boat and he leaves them. He walks away. There was a pastor one time. He was visiting the blacksmith. It's a few years ago, I'm sure. But the blacksmith was a man who belonged to the church. But little by little, he began to distance himself from the, the fellowship and the work with the Lord. It said that that blacksmith, all he did was walked in, looked at the coals that the blacksmith was walking. He got a pair of tongs and he picked up the coal and he set it all by itself and he put it on the, uh, one of the side rims of the, of the place of the fire. And then he turned and walked away. They said the next week the blacksmith was back in church because he knew what the pastor was saying through just a symbol, just a small thing that his life, apart from the fellowship and the body of Christ, was doomed to die and would no longer produce anything. Well, you see, I don't know. In fact, uh, almost weekly, uh, hear from members of our own church that struggling with difficulty and 
be honest with you, one of the things we may not understand, I may know, know why in the world you have to go through the difficulty, but one thing I know is I don't want to go by myself. I want someone who can help me, and I'm going to put my trust, and that's what he's desiring for them to do in the warning and the grieving and leaving a picture. Do you, do you know what's happening? If you reject what you see in front of you, it's something that will uh, cause you to be separated forever and ever and ever. And therefore, he says, I, I know what they need to do. They need to remember. And so he is quoting of the scriptures of this generation was for them to begin to build their life on truth of God's word. Let's look at the second part. The, the second part comes to the response of the disciples because they got into the boat. They had just fed uh, 4,000 people. They had seven large hampers left and they got on the boat and they begin to discuss a problem. We don't have any bread. And Jesus makes this comment, so look out for the Pharisees and the Herodians because of their desire. In fact, it was in the, uh, the book of Luke, I think chapter 24, when Herod and Pilate got together and brought Jesus before Herod. And he says, you know, you show me one of your signs. And Jesus didn't answer a single word because, you see, he had already had a word from God. God told Her Herod that Herodias shouldn't be with you. You shouldn't be with her. That is a sin. And he didn't listen, and so there was no sign that could be given that would change Herod's heart. And so he said nothing. So he warned them to be very careful about uh, the area of, of the uh, Herodians and the Pharisees. But as he listened to them and understood what was going on, the Bible says uh, they were discussing, verse 16, one another, the fact they had no bread. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? I'm talking about something eternal and something of, of substance. And what is this talking about bread? And, and so it's as though that he is floundered by the, the dullness of the hearts of the disciples. Twice he asked the question, haven't you been able to put these things together in this word understand is be able to take these truth and put them, apply them to your life to understand how to use these truth and it's as though that he just shakes his head. Now, I can, this is the picture that came to my mind, and I apologize, but it would be, here's, here's the two examples, man and a woman. The house, you come into the house, and they're gathered around the TV, and someone says, North Korea has just shot two missiles that any moment would hit the United States. Now, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, so you forgive me if I say it wrong. But here's the lady walks in, and her response would be something like this. Uh, 32 questions. You know, what time did it go? Where do you suppose it would hit? What does our leader do? I mean, I can just see her. It's just the nature because information somehow is what sometimes women. Now, here's the man. He comes in. His response, two missiles are going to hit sometime. We don't know when. Hey, what's for lunch? You know, I promise you, that's uh, men, uh, we, we have single-minded, and, and food is important. When I worked for McDonald's, I understood how important food. There are some things that we get our mind upon, and those particular things simply sometimes just grab a hold of us, and we can't turn loose of those things, or they get a hold of us. And so the Bible tells us, for instance, when you talk about these temporal things, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, he said, you know, something about don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you put on. 
But he says, but seek first the eternal thing, the kingdom of God. Put those as a priority. In other words, in everything you do, always be looking up for the coming of the Lord, the result of the promises, the fulfillment of God. When the world comes to an end, keep your eyes on those things. And so everything else, he said, I'm going to take care of. But the diagnosis of the worries or the diagnosis of the dullness is really in the questions. And I don't have time, but there are six questions that he asked the disciples. And I just, I encourage you to take those six questions and let those begin to uh, saturate your mind about your own um, aliveness to the truth of God and His Word. But look back in chapter 4 because Jesus warned that you see these things would be a certainty of that which would draw you away from genuine faith and growing faith. Chapter 4 in, this, in the book of Mark in verse 19, Jesus was talking about a farmer sowing seeds in the ground and he said something like this. He said uh, in verse uh, 19 of uh, Mark chapter 4, he says, uh, And the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entered and choked out the word and it became unfruitful. Now he gave three illustrations. He said simply being consumed by fears. You know, it's sometimes difficult when something happened to think about all the possibilities of, of what if. And he says, if you allow the worries to uh, take root in your heart, it'll literally root out genuine faith of God will see us through. We can trust God. And so he said, be very careful. He also talks about the worries in the area of uh, deceitfulness of, of wealth or riches. What exactly are you talking about? Well, I, I remember as a, watching a prisoner one day, and a prisoner was telling his story, and he told an illustration. He said there was this dog that had this big old delicious bone, and he was walking, and he came to a bridge, and he walked over the bridge and looked over the side, and he saw a reflection of a dog that was much bigger and a much bigger bone than his. When he saw that, he opened his mouth in, in, in desire for that bigger bone, and he said he lost it all. The prisoner went on to say, that's what happened in my life. I kept thinking a little bit more, a little more things, a, a little, much more, a little more. And he says, by little by little, he said, I threw my family away. He said, I threw my life away. And he said, I'll spend how many years I forgot him saying in the jail because he says, I got my eyes upon the things that were temporal instead of the things that would make a difference, the eternal. And not only true in the area of reality of our spiritual life, but it happens in the area of relationships. Sometimes we get so focused upon things in other people's lives that are not important instead of things that are most important. But lastly, he talked about desires. The word uh, ethymia, it's a word that describes the passions that you have in your life. Someone that would throw away their eternity, their life for a little passion. There's a lady that came in and spoke with me several years ago. She was a, a lady that had got addicted to a substance called crack. And I finally asked her, I said, you know, you're, you're losing everything. You're losing your health. You're losing your teeth, losing your hair. You're going to lose your family. You're lose your, you lost your reputation. What more? And, and I says, what is it about that? And she said, well, there's 15 seconds of pleasure, I can't explain to you how good it feels. 
Now, nobody in their rational mind for 15 seconds would throw their life away, but he says that's the danger that we're talking about. Jesus was talking about those things that will consume us, and Jesus says, why are you dealing with the things of of the bread? I'm talking about the eternal substance, and so he begins to ask them questions. Do you have eyes but not see? Again, a quote from the Old Testament. It always deals with a rebellious people, a people that literally refuse to listen to God and obey His Word. He talks about the area of, uh, uh, of remembering what He has done, breaking of the bread. And so, again, I challenge you to take those six questions, not so much as of any other thing for Bible study, but to say, how do I measure up to that type of understanding so that I don't let my life get swept away by something that was not important for something that was most important. When we were living in Hawaii uh, on the base housing, one of the things that stays in my brain is when I would see a kite wrapped around a tree, but particularly a, a, a high, uh, the, the, the wires up there. I don't know what they call them. Brother Brad, you probably remember. But the, anyway, the high voltage lines that would go through. And the reason why is because they said there was a little boy got his kite wrapped around there. Wanting his kite, he crawled up on the, the pole reached out to get that, and it cost him his life. And back then, a kite was 10 cents. And so when Jesus was warning about taking something that has no value, placing your whole life upon something that when you get to heaven, it has no value whatsoever, and building your life upon that. And so he warns them very carefully. When I think about those oddities like that, you ever run into somebody that just... It's an unusual person. When, when we had the, I guess we had the television by the satellite, there was one program we watched, probably faithful as, as Will of Fortune, but it was, it was called a man whose name was Mr. Monk. Anybody ever watch that goofy guy? I mean, he had this frizzy hair, but he would walk to a crime scene and he would walk over a, a corpse, a body, to straighten the picture on the wall. <laughs> and you'd say, you got to be kidding, you know. He, he, you would try to have a conversation with him and he was taking water and he was trying to make it uh, equal in the cup and you're thinking, this guy's supposed to be a genius but you see, all you could focus on and he always solved the crimes but it was a ludicrousy because what happens is he couldn't literally focus upon what was the most important because it was those little things uh, that began to... Uh, uh, devastate the life. That's what Jesus is talking about, the leaven. He's talking about the disciples and their dullness. Over in the book of Song of Solomon, the, the, the bride, as she prays that God would protect her life, she said like this, said, Lord, uh, help me to guard against the little foxes. You know what she was saying? It's sometimes it's not those big things that we try to do for other people. Sometimes it's the very small things. Things that you just simply move over and forget about and, and don't focus upon the most important things. And when the, they come to the study and they begin to say, we have a problem, we can't see eye to eye, most times it's not amounting to a, a, a giant thing. It would just begin with the little things that begin to deteriorate. Last thing, and I close. The last picture that I believe kind of summarized what Jesus is saying in the reference to feeding the multitude and the dullness and the rejection of the Pharisees happens in a man who was blind. There's no other story in the Bible that's like this. 
every time that Jesus healed, normally he spoke, he touched, uh, sometimes he did, and people were instantly healed. This is the only time where there's a gradual process of a man that was healed. But the Bible says that uh, when Jesus uh, crossed over leaving the disciples, the Bible says in verse 22, coming through Bethsaida, they brought to him a man, and I'm so thankful. Boy, that's the people that know that bringing people to Jesus will change their life forever. They brought him somehow hoping, desiring that Jesus would touch the man. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus takes him all by himself alone and goes separate from the crowd. He brought him out in verse 23 to a, out of the village. And the Bible says, and while he was with him by himself, he begins this process. Takes him by the hand, takes spittle, puts his hands upon him, begins to ask him questions, how do you see? And the first response, which tells us, I think Lane in his commentary is right, He's seen before because he knows what he's seen is not exactly right. He's seen uh, men who look like trees. And some, I, I remember years ago, some of them said that's the picture of a, a brand new baby. When they get their sight, they don't see things focused. But then when he touched them again, he began to see plain. I don't know. In fact, it doesn't explain why he does it in a progressive. I think it's the reason because it's describing God's patience and is working through us to bring us to the place in which our life is built upon him and our trust. And so the Bible says that he took him by the hand, led him out all by himself. God spent time. That's, that's what a personal relationship. Sometimes we use that word, you need a personal relationship with God. Your relationship with Christ can't be what your parents did can't be what your grandparents did. It means coming to experience the living God that you know that you've asked for forgiveness and he's, he's given you his grace and he's come into your life and you've yielded and given your obedience toward him. And so the Bible says Jesus pulled him aside. The next thing, which is, again, the second time he does this in the book of Mark, he takes spittle. Now, for whatever reason, we don't know. And they say in the ancient world that spittle had, they believe it had some... Uh, 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 health reasons or, or some kind of uh, uh, medicinal purposes. My, my mom used to do that. Right before we'd get somewhere, she'd look in the mirror and says, oh, no. And she'd spit on a Kleenex and she says, come here. And I mean, that's probably, you know, she would, nobody else spit on my face, but mama did. And I mean, she'd wipe my face and she'd rub that thing till it was clean because Mama was my mama, okay? I, I mean, I'm not going to let some other guy or anybody else, for that matter, spittle on my face, but mama did, and it was a very personal thing. Well, I, I think it was one of the things that Christ was growing the man's faith, and so touching his eyes. And then the Bible asked him, well, what do you see? And he makes a mention of the progress, whether it, when it was restored, we know that it wasn't completely right. And for whatever reason, we, we don't know why, but the Bible tells us that uh, in this intimacy with Christ, again, he places his hand. It's, a, it's, it's the contact. It's the, it's the questions. And it's the commands. The very last thing the Bible says he tells the man is to go home. And he says, and I want you to make sure that you go straight home and don't speak to anyone. You see, faith is measured by your obedience to what God says. Faith is how we know that it's genuine faith is it's a person's obedience to the Lord. And so when he commands him, there were several times he commanded people after he did a great sign in their life and they did the very opposite of what he asked. And so it was a response of knowing that they had heard from him and they began to follow him. In Acts chapter 4 verse 13, one of the most 
favorite passages about, of course, in verse uh, 15, it says, there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. But the Bible says when the leadership looked at Peter and John, and the Bible says they knew they were not educated, they were ignorant men, they were fishermen, they, they were just lay people. But the Bible says, but they took note. They had been with Jesus. Let me tell you something. That's what this man did. He went home. He had been with Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you a very personal question. I ask this sometimes when I'm knocking on people's doors I've never met before. I, I'd say something like this. I, I may never see you again because I believe that. I believe Jesus could come or I could go to be with Jesus. I may never see you again. But if I never see you again, let me ask you a question. Will I see you in heaven? Will I see you in glory? Have you built your life on not the peripheral things, the unimportant things? Have you built your life on the most important things, trusting in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ?